You're listening to the Quince podcast. With two and a half more years remaining in PM Modi's second term, the union cabinet got a major reshuffle on 7th July. While 12 heavyweights including Health Minister Dr. Harshvardhan, IT Minister Ravi Shankar Prasad, Education Minister Ramesh Pokhriyal Nishank and INB Minister Prakash Javadekar were left out of the new cabinet, 43 new ministers were sworn in. But not all of them are fresh faces. Seven junior ministers including Kiran Rijiju, Anurag Singh Thakur, Hardeep Singh Puri and Mansukh Mandavia got promoted in this rejig. In fact, the crucial portfolio of Health Ministry went to Mandavia amid a severe criticism of the government's mishandling of the second wave of COVID and vaccination shortages in the country, while the Law Ministry went to Rijiju. Home Minister Amit Shah has taken over additional charge of the new Ministry of Cooperation, while PM Modi will himself be monitoring the Ministry of Science and Technology. And also looking at the new appointments, the union cabinet now has 27 ministers who belong to the OBC category, 12 ministers belonging to the scheduled castes, 8 leaders from scheduled tribes, 11 women ministers and the highest representation ever of the northeastern states in the Council of Ministers. While the opposition says that the reshuffle is an admission of the Modi government's failure, what is the Modi government really aiming at with this move? Are we to view this move as a corrective measure from the government's part or is it focused on the upcoming elections? To analyse this cabinet expansion, we spoke to senior journalist Nilanjan Mukhopadhyay. You're tuned in to The Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you. And I'm your host, Shorbury. Albeit this overhaul of the union cabinet comes at a time when the economy is at its lowest and when there's anger against the government's attempts to muffle any criticism against its COVID management on social media. What does the cabinet reshuffle tell us about the Modi government? Firstly, as I've said, several big names have resigned ahead of the reshuffle and they were left out of the cabinet entirely. What really stands out is that the health ministry got a completely new makeover with Dr. Harshvardhan being dropped and MOS Ashwini Kumar Chaubi being shifted in the backdrop of an impending third wave. Soon after the new portfolios were announced, senior Congress leaders like P. Chidambaram and Jairam Ramesh noted that Dr. Harshvardhan was being made a scapegoat for the Modi government's failures in the pandemic. In a tweet, Mr. Chidambaram wrote that, and I'm quoting his tweet, quote, There's a lesson for ministers in these resignations. If things go right, the credit will go to the PM. If things go wrong, the minister will be the fall guy. End quote. And speaking of scapegoats, if you look at some of the other resignations, Javadekar and Ravi Shankar Prasad's exit comes as the government finds itself engaged in a tussle with Twitter. The IT rules have also been slammed by critics for trying to undermine user privacy. But both Javadekar and Prasad have all this while exhibited unwavering loyalty towards PM Modi, often hitting back at critics with sharp words. Or if you look at Ramesh Pokhriyal Nishank, under whom the new education policy was passed, which is another contentious reform that has faced criticism, he has been dropped, but the NEP hasn't been rolled back yet. But Nirmala Sitharaman, on the other hand, is continuing to head the finance ministry despite the economy faring at its very worst in decades since the onset of the pandemic. So is this cabinet reshuffling coming from poor performance of certain ministries? Are we really expecting to see any kind of turnaround in any of these ministries with the new appointments at all? And if not, what do these resignations really tell us? Senior journalist Nilanjan Mukhopadhyay weighs in. Uh, you know, after the second wave of the pandemic, 
Hmm. And the total ineptitude of the government to handle the crisis. Hmm. It had become imperative for the government to be seen to be doing something. Hmm. So heads had to roll. Hmm. Uh, heads had to roll because the ro- head which was taking all the decisions, which was in charge, hmm. uh, primarily right from the time uh, Mr. Modi became the prime minister. Hmm. This has been a highly centralized uh, government, and it continues with a highly centralized system that he ran as uh, the Gujarat chief ministers from October 2001 onwards. Hmm. So for the last 20 years, Mr. Modi has presided over various two different regimes where he has been the unquestioned authority. Mm. So if anything goes wrong, others besides him Mm. have to pay the cost. Mm. So it was the same thing here. Uh, There were certain frontline ministries which became very crucial in the handling of the pandemic. Mm. Of course, there was health. Mm. Of course, there was finance. Mm. There was social justice. There was education. And several others, you know, we really have to look at the ministry. So, so a lot of these, I and we, because the image of the government was very important. Mm. Law, because that is also the time when in the pandemic, we've used uh, the law ministry mm. to uh, be, to arm twist a lot of criticism uh, of the government. There has also been occasions of clashes with the judiciary on this, especially after the new uh, Chief Justice, Justice uh, Ramana took over. Yeah. So there, ha- there have been a situation where things were not going right as far as public perception was concerned. Mm. So you could easily dispense with those leaders who do not have mm. much public support that they, their uh, removal is not going to lead to a public outcry from their supporters. That is how Ravi Shankar Prasad, who has primarily been a Rajya Sabha Member of Parliament, you have had Prakash Javadekar. The only person, you know, who had some amount of personal following, primarily because of his long standing and also because of his caste identity of being a Dalit, was Khawachan Khelot. Hmm. So he was not uh, shown the door in a dishonorable manner the way these others were done uh, yesterday. Hmm. But Khawachan Khelot was appointed as the Karnataka governor, a day prior to this entire exercise. Mm. But it was nonetheless, he was being kicked upstairs. Mm. Now, you create a vacancy of a very crucial social uh, uh, community, which the BJP has tried to woo, that is the Dalits. So you had to have a replacement for uh, Mr. Thawarchand Gehlot. And that came in the form of Mr. Virendra Kumar, who had been a minister of state in the Modi 1.0 government, mm. but was subsequently dropped in 2019 mm. for reasons which were not explained. But he now comes back as a cabinet minister. There is no explanation as to why he was dropped, and there is no explanation ever going to be given or even sought as to why he has been brought back. Obviously, it is not just performance which has actually uh, been uh, the, the reason behind it. It's, it's basically a political adjustment proves that this entire exercise has primarily been not for uh, improving the quality of governance, but more about political balancing and uh, taking care and uh, 
making, uh, you know, building new ties in different uh, social groups. With these dozen resignations, save Defence Minister Rajnath Singh and Mukhtar Abbas Nakhvi, this is pretty much the wrapping up of the NDA that used to be under Atal Bihari Vajpayee. But let's also look closely at some of the new appointments in the cabinet. As I've said, there are some promotions of former junior ministers in the cabinet, along with inclusion of turncoats and allies. The notable promotions were Kiran Rijiju's shift from MOS to law minister, Hardeep Singh Puri being made the minister for petroleum and natural gas, and Mansuk Mandavia, an older loyalist from Modi state government in Gujarat, being given the health ministry. Minakshi Lekhi, who we've seen rise through the ranks in the party over the years, have also been rewarded as the MOS of the MEA. And as far as new faces are concerned, if you turn quotes like former Congress leader Jyotiraditya Sindhya and former Shiv Sena Chief Minister from Maharashtra Narayan Rane were also rewarded in the new cabinet along with Nishit Pramanik who switched over to the BGP from the TMC. And while former allies Shiv Sena and Shirumani Akali Dal exited from the NDA over political differences earlier in this term, the Janta Dal United, which had not featured in the union ministry since the 2019 elections, finally got in. The party's national president, RCP Singh, was one of the senior JDU leaders who filled up the vacancies left by the former allies. Apna the leader, Anupriya Patel, also got inducted in the cabinet. So what do we make of these promotions and these new additions? What is the government trying to achieve? You know, uh, it's actually going to be very difficult to talk about the promotions and the new inclusions in one go. Each one has a different pace, you know, uh, and there would be different reasons to actually, uh, you know, look at whether their promotion is warranted or not. Hmm. The first name which obviously comes to my mind is Anurag Thakur. So I really can't understand that what he's really accomplished in the past uh, six years that he's been uh, the Minister of State uh, to have been promoted. Mm. Likewise, I really do not know that what was the great accomplishment of Kiran Rijiju, however nice a person he may be, to have uh, you know done, to have performed in the Sports and Youth Affairs Ministry to now become the Law Minister. Just look at the kind of predecessors. I have all my... You know, differences with Ravi Shankar Prasad, but at least as far as his law is concerned, his basic facts are correct, where we would disagree with his interpretation, but that is a different matter. Yeah. But I would never actually doubt his standing within the legal community. Hmm. You require uh, somebody who would be looked at with respect by the legal community, whether they the judiciary or whether uh, the lawyers. Hmm. I don't think that, uh, you know, uh, this this reshuffle in any ways attends to the basic requirement to improve the quality of governance, which is to decentralize very heavily right down to the lower most, uh, you know, uh, the tire of uh, governance in the country. Right. So I really don't think that this reshuffle alters or is going to promise much better governance. It's going to lurch from one crisis to another. There's also an interesting increase in representation from northeastern states this time. In fact, as I've already mentioned, this is the biggest representation ever of the northeastern region in the Council of Ministers with two union ministers and three junior ministers. Former Assam Chief Minister Sarbananda Sonowal is one of those who got inducted into the cabinet as was expected when Himanta Biswa Sarma took over the chief ministerial post from him after the 2021 Assam state elections. This is also the first time when a leader from Tripura has become a union minister. 
And other than a boost in the northeastern representation, this cabinet now has the biggest SCST and OBC representation under Modi's term. If until the reshuffle there were 13 OBC ministers, six Dalits, three tribals, and 32 upper caste leaders, the cabinet now has 27 ministers who belong to the OBC category, 12 ministers belonging to the scheduled castes, and eight leaders from the scheduled tribes. What is also interesting to note is that while former Labour Minister Santosh Gangwar, a prominent OBC leader who had recently quite openly criticised Yogi Adityanath's handling of the COVID crisis in Uttar Pradesh, was dropped from the cabinet, Kaushal Kishore, a Dalit MP from UP who was one of the first ones to vocalise the mismanagement of the second wave of COVID in UP, has been included in the Council of Ministers. Now we know that more than the COVID crisis, the next big test for the government is going to be the Uttar Pradesh State Assembly polls in 2022. But with this kind of representation, is the government looking beyond the UP polls at the 2024 general elections? Back to Mr. Mukhopadhyay here. Uh, let me first. Uh Take your uh, question pertaining to the northeast first. Mm. One point which has been missed by a large mm. number of people who have been commenting since yesterday, primarily because there were multiple areas about which we could comment. Mm. I know I was speaking a bit critically about Rijiju Kiran Rijiju a while ago, mm. but we also have to look at the fact that he comes from Arunachal Pradesh. Right. He is the first ever cabinet minister from Arunachal Pradesh in a central government. Mm. Given the kind of uh, tension which has been brewing with China over the last uh, 15 odd months, mm. I think that this is a message to uh, to China that uh, Arunachal remains an uh, inviolable part of the Indian territory, completely represented within the highest. ranks of the government mm. so as far as that is concerned the inclusion of rijiju in the cabinet i have absolutely no bones because it sends a very clear message to china mm. where i disagree with is that whether he was the most appropriate person for the law ministry but i hope that you know in any case think that uh, the understanding is that the centralized style of functioning is going to continue and mr rijiju is going to be primarily uh, you know a proxy uh, law minister where the prime bulk of the decisions would be taken by the close associates of mr modi whether in within the cabinet or within the prime minister's office the officials mm. similarly uh, sarvanan sonowal he had to be accommodated for political reasons because uh, of the change of guard in assam himanta biswa sarma was made the chief minister because he had the people on his side so he actually uh, if i may use the word asked the central leadership into giving him the chief ministerial slot okay. uh, the bjp is having problems both in sipa and manipur including members in the council of ministers from those states actually okay. to send a signal to uh, the people of the states that uh, your uh, requirements and your due adequate representation has been done at the center it's to sort out the problems which the bjp is having in these two tripura and in manipur mr mukhopadhyay also says that the caste representation is mostly coming from states where the bjp is facing internal turmoils as far as other states are concerned and the people who coming in from the uh, obcs there is a, a huge amount of obc Uh, presence in the Union Council of Ministers. In fact, 
there have never been so many non upper caste uh, people almost nearly 50 of them out of 78 or 79 of the members of the council of ministers are what we can call non upper caste yeah. or non dominant communities that would be a better way of actually putting it uh, it's obviously that the bjp has tried to do some kind of political fixing in states where uh elections are due within the next year or so mm-hmm. year or two years also it is right to tend to those states where the bjp is having internal problems you know we know that there are large number of states where there is very serious dissension within the party there are uh, people protesting against uh, against the chief minister or against mm-hmm. the state leadership for instance in karnataka so they have tried to fix this by multiple uh, ways mm. the biggest inclusion of course is the new contingent has come up seven ministers from uttar pradesh and they are uh, uh, primarily all from the obcs or from the dalit community mm. i think you know that what the bjp is trying to do this is a clear message which can be seen is that mr uh, the bjp's uh, social engineering under yogi adityanath which got them the verdict in 2017 mm. and again in 2019 has actually gone for a six because of mr yogi adityanath's uh, you know heavily rajput centric regime if i can actually use it you know that is the people's perception mm. it may be denied officially by the government but the general sense of people in uttar pradesh is that is sarkar mein rajputon ka bolbala hai mm. now to counter that uh, this move has been made by inducting people from the non dominating communities in the union council of ministers mm-hmm. i am not very sure that yogi adityanath is going to allow them the political space to operate some of them you know like pankaj chaudhary who has been made a minister of state for finance he was one of the aspirants to become the chief minister of uh, you know in 2017 and he also comes from eastern up so i am not very sure that whether the truce whether it is going to be an uneasy truce between the central leadership and yogi adityanath in the months running up to the elections in the state which is in the first quarter of 2022 or whether they are going to make peace and you know smoke the pipe jointly i am really not able to say at this stage we have touched this get some indications that if yogi adityanath also follows and includes a large number of people from the uh, underprivileged sections of society well this may just be a political arithmetic for the government will there be something for the citizens in this cabinet if you like listening to this episode please subscribe to the big story playlist for episodic updates we'll have on apple google podcast spotify jio seven and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms For other podcasts please log on to the Quinn website and check out the podcast section for any feedback shoot an email to podcasts@thequinn.com Thanks for listening log on to the Quinn's website and check out our other podcasts